This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and greetings from me, Pete Cameron, the host of Running Together. Thanks, as always, to Plains FM for providing such fantastic support and facilities for conducting interviews. Actually, today's, like all of my talks with guests, are intended to be conversations, largely informal, and while they have a structure, there is plenty of scope for discovery and originality. Speaking of these two terms, my guest today is no stranger to performing the unexpected. Achieving special things in the noble pursuit of helping others. It appears to be in her DNA and I am keen to understand how it got there and perhaps a little will rub off on me. Melanie Patterson, welcome to Running Together. Thanks for having me today. My pleasure. I want to take you back to the night of February 13th. 2021. Can you remember what you were doing and where you were that night? The hint is that you were in a volcanically active part of the North Island. This would be the Tarawera run with Mordecai. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, it was. Yeah, so Mordecai and I met many years ago and had run all sorts of events together, um, including comrades in South Africa, where I, I took him back after I'd, I'd run there in 2016. I took him there in 2017 when I was doing my back-to-back. We'd talked about Tarawera, and at some point he told me he was considering doing the Mylar. And actually, he asked me to be his pacer, which I was very excited about. Actually, he asked myself and Kylie, my friend Kylie, she was then on the race day, she was seven months pregnant. So obviously that wasn't going to happen. So I was Mordecai's kind of sole pacer for the last, um, between sort of 42 and 45K, I think it was. And I remember the night before the race, I said to Mordecai, why are you doing this? (laughs) And he said... Mel, it was your idea. <laughs> and I thought, you know, we ran, run together quite a lot. And I, so obviously at some point I, I may have mentioned that it would be a good you idea may to have run. Mentioned it. But, yeah, to support Mordecai in that run was, yeah, life-changing. And, yeah, it made me appreciate more that, you know, running's not an individual sport. I mean, it can be, mm-hmm. but what I get out of it is – more sort of experiencing things with other people. So I joined Mordecai in the middle of the night. I had the luxury of about an hour and a half sleep on a grassy bank waiting for him (laughs) to come in at Okataina, which is one of the um, aid station stops. Mm -hmm. Kylie was on the lookout for him coming in. I woke up and I think at that point he he had actually made the decision that he wasn't going to continue. Oh. Yeah, like I think in his head. And as soon as we saw him, we were like, right, okay, you know, let's let's do this thing. Mm-hmm. And I think in some of these long runs, 
yeah, you might doubt yourself, but yeah. yeah, he pulled himself out of that thought of not continuing. And um, yeah, off we went into the night. So I've got a few questions. Yeah. Now, I actually know a bit of the answer to this, but certainly for the <laughs> guests. So when you're talking about a miler, we're not talking about 1,609 metres, are we? We're talking, we're talking, you know, Tarawera miler. Miles. is a hundred, I think it's actually even more than that, isn't it? Uh, Tarawera is, yes, yeah, slightly over. Slightly I think over. they're a bit cheeky with that. Yeah. Miles, so a hundred and, for, for those metrics, about 165 Ks. Yeah, yeah. So when we're talking about yeah. miler, we're actually talking about a lot, a lot, a lot of miles. Yeah, it was quite terrifying, actually, supporting Mordecai. You know, just because of what he was putting himself through mm. and being a close friend, you don't want to see your friends suffer. No. But ultimately, yeah, there, there are moments there when it does get incredibly tough. But I think, yeah, what kind of got him through and how we were able to support him was more about us knowing his capability mm-hmm. and him just trusting in us. Like when he came into aid stations, we would just tell him what to do. So we felt... He gave us, you know, it was quite a privilege for us to be in charge of, you know, his run. Yeah. Um, so he wasn't doing decision-making in terms of fueling, you know, eating mm-hmm. and drinking and things like that. He outsourced that to us and so we knew we needed to get it right. And we were rested, we'd slept. And so for us, for the three of us, it worked out really well all round and it was one less thing for Mordecai to worry about. A very important one. And yeah. when you're talking about pacer, I guess the assumption, <laughs> the, the, the assumption is that, that somebody's running alongside them for 165 k's, but that's definitely not what we're talking about because not to undersell yourself, but you were involved pretty much from the start of the day. So we're talking about an actual run time yeah, yeah. of over 32 hours. Yeah. So this is a massive, massive commitment. This isn't a bit of a cheering squad on the side of the road doing a, like a half marathon or something like this. This is a profoundly more involved support. Yeah. So can you share with me a little bit about the amount of actual support that you were giving him? Because we, you, you were mentioning as far as, you know, essentially offloading those, those decisions because mm. – somebody who's sleep-deprived, they're really, really, really tired, is probably not going to make the best decisions for themselves. They'll probably just want to want to sleep. And actually that's what Mordecai really, really wanted to do at several stages, didn't he? And you allowed him a little bit of sleep. But you also did something special. You sang. (laughs) I didn't sing particularly well, but, (laughs) yeah, I've... Yeah, I mean, I think as part of the support crew, everything you do has to be positive and every word that comes out of your mouth has to be positive. Um, You know, it's challenging enough for the runner. It was quite funny what you said about when it started because, I mean, I I ran the last 45 or K from from Okataina to the finish with Mordecai. But prior to that, we had been to the briefing and we were told as support crew, don't expect you could get to every single aid station location that you're mm-hmm. allowed to go to. And Kylie and I just looked at each other and laughed because that was exactly what we intended to do. Any accessible point that we were mm-hmm. allowed to go to, we would be there with his gear. And so, yeah, it was like 
challenge accepted. You know, we're going to be there, and um, and we succeeded. There are a couple of bus trips we had to take to get to certain locations. Yeah, it was a learning curve for us. We also did a practice run on supporting Mordecai. We did it in the Port Hills actually, and it was oh, okay. quite funny because we set up aid stations. We did mm-hmm. practice setups of aid stations, and we saw other people like walking in the hills, wondering what we were up to, <laughs> as we like led out a tarp and. A chair and the yeah. gear and, you know, chilli bin with stuff in. Mm-hmm. And we did lose him, though, on the practice run because <laughs> um, he jumped off Greater Rim Trail and jumped onto the road. And I went to join him because it was a complete practice of Tarawira but shorter distance. So I sure. said, OK, I'll run the last quarter of the run with you. And I was so excited about running with Mordecai that I said, well, I'll run Greater Rim in the opposite direction and find him because – as long as he stays on Crater Rim, you know, well, yeah, it was like later on in the day and he did a sneaky like run around the road. So, yeah, we all like lost each other. So he turned up on the road to Kylie and I'm out there looking for Uh-oh. him. Um, so that's when you phone a friend. Mm. There was a, guy, a paraglider up in the hills. I, I didn't have my phone. My phone had gone dead and I just said... He contacted my husband and my husband rang Kylie. <laughs> um, word got back to me, yeah, where, where he was. Mm. So it's quite challenging crewing people actually for yeah. some of these things. So it's good to be on the other side and get that experience. And you mentioned before the show about the importance of light because we're talking about running, obviously more than 24 hours, but running through the night. Yeah, so as part of your compulsory gear for a lot of these that like through the night races, you have your main head torch and backup head torch or batteries. You really want to make sure that they're going to work and, and they're not going to let you down. So when I was letting Mordecai have a short 20-minute sleep, I, our head torches were off. Uh, this, yeah, this is during the Tarawira race. And there was literally just the light of my phone. And I heard this rustling in the bushes. Mm of something that initially I thought was an animal and then I figured it was too big <laughs> to be an animal. So I was like, what is this thing? And this man appeared and he was really pleased to see us and um, his head torch actually died and his backup head torch wasn't working. So fortunately, I had my gear and a spare so I could lend him one of my head torches. Yeah, I don't know what actually would have happened to him had mm. he not come across us. Yeah. Because it would be quite easy to wander off, especially if you're really sleep deprived mm. and disappear in the Tarueras. Yeah, wow. So I remember Mordecai sharing his journey of the preparation for the Tarawera Ultra and actually mentioning about, mm. <laughs> about, about the practice run. The arduous 32 plus hours of running, the walking, the eating, the even the short sleeps – along with the surprising aftermath, the weeks and months where running was either physically or mentally difficult for him. So you have performed ultras. So please tell me about your own experiences of the before, the during and the after. Okay, so I'm sometimes I'm a bit of a control freak. So I... I'm very lucky in that when I chose to do comrades in South Africa, a friend of mine recommended I got a coach because I was a novice runner. I only started running about, um, yeah, just over 10 years ago. And so I got my coach, 
Flavio Viana, and he's a great believer in preparing, everybody preparing like a pro, and you'll always like do your own personal best. So I like to take control of things that I can take control of, whether it's my clothing, my footwear, my fueling, my hydration. So I plan all my fueling on a spreadsheet. So I get as organized as I possibly can um, beforehand. And that gives me the confidence on the day that I've done everything I can to do my own best, whatever that will be on the day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I tend to be quite, yeah, quite calm um, before a big event. And it's sometimes not until the event actually starts that the penny drops in terms of what I'm trying to do. And then that's some, I sometimes get a bit terrified. Uh, fortunately, I've done a few events where, yeah, I am a bit of a talker on, on, on these, mm-hmm. in these events. And so I've had the fortune of having people around me to reassure me. Mm-hmm. Um, so during... I tend to start quite conservatively and I tend to finish quite strong and and that's how I like to run. Mm. Um, And I feel over the years I'm a lot more conditioned to to do these sort of events. So like the last few very long distances I've done, I've actually held up pretty well afterwards. I've been quite surprised um, how I felt afterwards. Mm Yeah, my family think it's funny, especially if I do well. They think it's funny because like, I'm re- quite surprised, but they don't seem that surprised. They mm. just think it's another day, you know, I'm out on the trails doing mm-hmm. crazy things. <laughs> um, so, yeah, afterwards I seem to hold my, bo- my body seems to hold up pretty mm. well, but I'm very careful try not to injure myself especially because I play hockey as well so mm-hmm. I try and like not not do too much on the hockey pitch after I've had a really long run yeah. um, mentally I have learned to reminisce and hold on to those amazing yeah. runs for as long as possible because you can get those like post-run blues that people kind of you know they go back to their normal life Mm. And they come kind of crashing down. And I think the more you share events with other people, you can contact those people and actually reminisce together Mm. on your experience. So, and it brings it alive again. What seems to happen as well, I reminisce on the old one, the the event I've just done, and all of a sudden there's another one just around the corner that I've, something else that has just kind of come up that I'm involved in. So then I'm in planning mode mm-hmm. for the next one. Mm. So with comrades, that's 80, is it 80K? Uh, 90. 90K. Yeah, yeah. And that's in South Africa. South Africa, yeah. And it's probably one of the more famous yeah, ultra races in, in the yeah. world. And yeah. there's a lot of people that um, really find that a particularly appealing course because I think it's overall it's downhill. Is that right? Um, or you can do it both ways. Yeah, right? it alternates. Okay. And so the first year I did it, I did the down run. Mm-hmm. And the down run, the first half of it is actually uphill. Okay. So you start in Peter Maritzburg and you mm-hmm. run up into the hills. So basically the middle point is higher 
then the start or the finish. Right. So you run up into the hills, through the hills and the old road between Peter Maritzburg and Durban. Mm. And then the second half of it is downhill, but Durban is at sea level, yeah. whereas Peter Maritzburg is, yeah, a little bit above altitude, above um, sea level, a little bit at altitude. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I went, uh, did the down run the first year and, yeah, I was so lucky having my coach um, mm. because I had no clue. He laughed at me when I showed him my training plan when I met him for the first day and he <laughs> threw it in the bin. And he said, no, we just need to make you stronger and fitter and faster mm -hmm. every single day between now and the event. Yeah, uh, yeah he kind of had a personalised training plan, um, which was awesome. And then when I got back, I just said to Mordecai, I can't put it into words how amazing this event mm. has been. I said, I'd love to go back and do the back-to-back. -back. Yeah. And, um, yeah, if you'd like to join me, yeah, just say the word. So mm. we trained together and we went back. So the following year, we together did the uphill run. Yeah. So you actually ran together. We did. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, we did a lot of training together anyway. Mm. I don't know. It's like it's an unlikely pairing, really, mm. Mordecai and I. But we have a similar sense of humour and mm. we get along really well. And... Yeah, we kind of know what each other is thinking. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, even when training runs, we might go running for like three or four hours and then you get back to the – and we might not talk very much mm. at all. And you get back to the car and then you're chatting about all sorts. And um, I was thinking, well, maybe we should have spoken more while we were running because <laughs> <laughs> you think of all these things to catch up about. But no, that was amazing. I met his family as well. Mm because they came down from Malawi. Uh, so that was pretty special. And he saw me get my back-to-back -back medal after I crossed the finish line. So you get a finisher's medal, mm -hmm. and depending on what speed you go at. And then if you've done it back-to-back, -back, finished two in, a year, two in two consecutive years successfully, you get an additional medal. So he oh, said, cool. oh, what's that third medal <laughs> now? <laughs> so then he went back the year after and mm -hmm. did his back-to-back -to -back too. And I hear there's a... Tremendous amount of support along the course oh, as well. Unlike yeah, with Tarawira, yeah, yeah. where of course you know you've you've got your own special support crew that yeah. you'll meet occasionally, kind of thing. But on the road, yeah, there's a, a lot of the locals come out and and support. Is that right? Well. It seems like, I don't know if it is, it seems like a national holiday in South Africa. You feel like you've got the whole country behind you. Wow. It's a televised event. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's absolutely massive. You've got people singing and you do have support the whole way because it's the oldest and largest ultramarathon in the world. Mm -hmm. And also the spirit of comrades, the fact that it started um, to remember fallen soldiers from the First mm -hmm. World War, that spirit of people you know, traveling the course together, everybody supports each other. Yeah. You know, you've got huge support from the, every, everyone in the country mm. and other runners as well. So, and there's a lot of very experienced runners mm. out there. So you can run, you can see on their bib um, how many finishes they've got, comrades finishes mm -hmm. they've got. So, you know, you tag along with someone who's the same pace as you and they've got you know, 10 comrades finishes under their belt, you know, if you stay with them that, you know, you should you should do well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. There's nothing really like that in New Zealand or even Australia, is there? No, I mean, uh, it's pretty cool being a road ultra as mm -hmm. well. Um, so obviously there's lots and lots of trail runs popping up all sure. over the world that are really popular. 
Yeah, Comrade is is pretty special. Mm. Majority of the runners are South African, yeah. but you get a lot of people who aren't necessarily runners who decide mm. they want to have a go at it. They'll have grown up watching it on telly and they'll mm. just give themselves this challenge to become a runner and train for it and do it. Yeah. And sometimes they might not succeed their first year and they go back and have another go. Yeah, yeah the community of people running is um, is quite mixed. It's mm. not all experienced runners. Sure. And for that distance, you have to prepare, as your, your coach mentioned. Yeah. You've, got, you've got to have a decent training plan. So let's move forward to late September this year. What possessed you to run 123 k's, well, actually 130 k's, along the coast of Western Australia? So my friend Lisa, who I met actually at a Sri Chimoy run in Hagley Park, she lives in Australia now and um, she shared with me a few years ago that she had kept it to herself but she's been fighting MS for the last mm-hmm. uh, over 13 years actually. Mm-hmm. She was going through a bit of a rough patch and um, just pretty much opened up to me and, and told me what she was going through and it was pretty heartbreaking actually. And also to think that you know she'd been coping with it you know, without the support of her friends for a lot mm. of years. Because I, I work for a company based in Australia, so I go out there to Brisbane for work every so often. She lives mm-hmm. in Brisbane and we always catch up when I'm out there. And um, one of my work trips, we caught up for our normal, like, Monday pizza that we do <laughs> when I'm out there. And she said, oh, I want to do something. It's where to stick it to MS. And mm. she said to her, wheelchair clock is ticking you know it is a degenerative disease that there's no cure for and she wants to do what she can while she can so she said she was talking to another trail runner friend of hers or fellow engineer actually and he is currently living in western australia and came up with this suggestion of running um the cape to cape which is a seven-day walking trail from Cape Lewin to Cape Naturalist. About three hours south of Perth. Yeah, the halfway point is Margaret River. Mm-hmm. So she got this map and showed me on a map, you know, where it was and what it was and asked if I would run with her and two of her friends. And I, I guess I was the more experienced person she was bringing into the mix to actually make sure it definitely happened and that they were successful. So that was, yeah, I felt quite lucky to be asked. And, uh, yeah, so booked booked the trip and, yeah, went out there and joined her and the guys for 130K. Yeah, we did think it was 123. (laughs) Actually, it was only when we were during the run that we realised that it was 130. Mm. And, And it was a lot of sand, a lot of sand running which can be quite slow and draining. And uh, even the trail away from the beach was very sandy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Running and then you're on sand, it's um, it's a different sort of stress. Yeah, it it is. So, I mean, I was in my element because I love running on sand um, and I I do a bit of uh, barefoot running on the sand as well. Mm. Um, 
yeah, I don't need to replace my shoes as much <laughs> if, I, if I don't wear them. So, uh, no, it's really it's really good to run on the sand maybe mm. like once a week. Yeah. And, yeah, so I thought it was really cool. But I because I'm used to running in sand, you know, the fact that you go a little bit slower mm-hmm. – um, I already knew that, and I, you yeah. know, I'm already used to that. Mm-hmm. It can be frustrating for people who are used to running a bit faster, um, yeah. you know, with the sand moving under your feet. Yeah, it was, it was pretty challenging. Yeah, mm. and you had to cross rivers. Yeah, we did. So we had we had a number of river crossings. The biggest one was the Margaret River, about halfway, mm-hmm. um, and that was like just below the waist deep and we were quite relieved that we didn't have to do a detour because some of the river crossings, if it's too high, basically, yeah, it could add on, I think one of them, the detour's about an extra 7K and you really don't necessarily want to be doing that. (laughs) Yeah, so the river crossings went pretty well, actually. The Margaret River one was uh, the stop before the sun went down. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a halfway point. And uh, in addition to all our normal fueling, I said, and this is something I got from my coach actually, aside from all that, just have some happy food. You know, you're going to be out there for such a mm. long time. It's such a long way. Pizza? Um, so I chose pizza. <laughs> I did. Lisa and I both chose pizza actually. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll have like one or two slices. And I came in and I was so hungry, even though I'd been fueling and Mm. I eat a lot of Kumara on a long run. Yeah, so I polished off half the pizza like pretty quickly. And um, yeah, Lisa had hers. The guys had sushi. And then (laughs) we did our river crossing. And we we nearly went the wrong way, actually. Mm. When we came out of the river, it was really hard to see where to go. And the signs were really small. And fortunately, we had a radio on us and the guys were all packing up um, the aid station they'd set up for us and because they could see our head torches and they radioed to us. It's, mm-hmm. it's not that way. <laughs> it's down the beach a bit further. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So I'm curious, what <clears throat> is it about you that makes you so generous towards others? Are you paying it forward? or paying something back from the kindness bestowed upon you earlier in life? With the the running is something that it seems like a bit accidental, like it wasn't mm. planned. I'm easily persuaded to do things, like crazy <laughs> things, running things. Yeah, like how I got into running was, so my mum was fighting cancer at the time and it wasn't, Long after the earthquakes, we had a lot of damage to our house. And at work, we were given the opportunity to meet with a psychologist and pretty much everybody took up the offer. And I thought, well, I need to get something out of this. I'm not just going to kind of turn up because the company have asked me to. And the psychologist said, pretty much said, the happier you are, the more resilient you are. And the more resilient you are, the happier you are. Make Mm. a list of things that make you happy and actually commit to doing them more often Hmm. so that's always really stuck with me to actually find okay what makes me happy and make a commitment to do it more often and at the time I said 
Oh, running makes me happy, but I can think of lots of reasons not to run. You know, just the endorphins. Like, you yeah. know, there's no secret that, you know, running makes you happy. But to actually start that running journey is pretty challenging. And the psychologist said to me, oh, why don't you do a half marathon? And then, you know, you'll then you'll commit to sort of doing the training. And I'd actually done a half marathon before. And I said, oh, being a hockey player, I'd just wing it. I wouldn't do any training. And I'd get through <laughs> half of it and then I'd suffer for the second half. Mm. So it'd just be a bit of a one-off. And she said, well, sign up for a marathon then. So I came out of the session and I signed up for a marathon, not really know. I Google searched marathon training plan, found one, stuck it on the fridge, got into running that way. And then... I just met so many cool people along mm. the way and made so many friendships, unlikely friendships. And when I get the opportunity to crew my friends, I thought, well, I've had people support me. Like my family mm. have travelled around the world with me for different events. Yeah, it's good to support other people. So there is that element of giving it back and like yeah. paying, for, paying it forward. And like all the events I enjoy the most are ones with friends. So it's a bit less about time goals like I want to run a marathon in x time you know pbs and this and that if you can help other people reach their goal it's just as fulfilling as like reaching your own goals Mel it's been a pleasure to have you on running together thanks for your insights and inspiration and thanks to our mutual friend Molokai for connecting us um, for the show so Thanks so much again. Thanks for having me.